News Source 1 Messiana. News and headlines the way you want in the morning. This is News to Go, your morning show focusing on the top stories from various news outlets. Also available via Ryanka Podcast app. With SRN News, I'm Ron DeRostra. A coalition of pediatric groups is calling on Congress to address children's mental health problems caused by the pandemic. In a joint statement, the groups are declaring a national emergency in children's mental health. Gabrielle Carlson of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry writes that children are suffering soaring rates of depression, anxiety, trauma, loneliness, and suicidality that will have lasting impacts on them, their families, and their communities. The groups are calling on lawmakers to increase federal funding for mental health access for families, providing access to telemedicine, and supporting school-based mental health care. Bob Agner reporting. Also at SRNNews.com, a centerpiece of President Biden's climate change strategy, all but dashed. Instead, Democratic lawmakers met with the Mr. President, uh, met with the president at the White House yesterday, searching for new ways to reach his emission reduction goals that can still win passage in Congress. An indictment accuses a U.S. congressman from Nebraska of lying to the FBI. Mike Gracia has more. U.S. Representative Jeff Fortenberry of Nebraska has been indicted by a federal grand jury of lying in a federal investigation into illegal campaign contributions from a Nigerian billionaire. A grand jury in Los Angeles indicted the nine-term Republican on one charge of scheming to falsify and conceal material facts and two counts of making false statements to federal investigators. The charges stem from an FBI investigation of illegal campaign contributions from Gilbert Shaguri, a Nigerian billionaire of Lebanese descent. The contributions, funneled through a group of Californians from 2012 through 2016, went to four U.S. politicians, including Fortenberry, in 2016. I'm Mike Gracia. On Wall Street, Dow futures are down 20 points. The Nasdaq is down by three. This is SRN News. What's the attendance like in your post-pandemic church? The numbers come from the Faith Communities Today survey, and they indicate a general decline in the number of people going to worship services of 7% from 2015 to 2019. Mainline Protestant denominations suffer the greatest decline in attendance, with small and mid-sized churches shrinking fast and megachurches getting bigger. The report also finds there are more churches in the South than in any other region of the country. Michael Harrington, SRN News. A Washington, D.C. city councilman who promotes anti-Semitic myths now running for mayor in next summer's election. Democrat Trayon White made waves in 2018 when he posted on Facebook, Jews control the weather as well as all international banking. Anti-Semitism is on the rise around the world and there's been a spike in online anti-Semitic postings over the past several years right here in the U.S. This is SRN News. It appears Congress will not be giving the Internal Revenue Service more power after all. Bowing to an outcry from taxpayers, Senate Democrats are abandoning their proposal to have banks report any deposits or withdrawals of $600 or more to the IRS. The plan was universally condemned by average citizens and by banks themselves as too much government surveillance. Keith Peters reporting. Federal agents conducted law enforcement activity at a Washington mansion owned by a Russian oligarch, Oleg Deripaska. An agency spokesperson says FBI agents were at the house to carry out court-authorized law enforcement activity. Now, Deripaska is a close ally of Russian President Putin. 
A spokesperson for Deripaska told reporters the searches were, quote, connected to U.S. sanctions and that the homes didn't belong to him. Rather, they belonged to relatives. More details at SRNnews.com. I'm Rhonda Rockstra. Detailed forecast today sunny, with a high near 71. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Tonight a chance of showers and thunderstorms before 3 a.m., then showers likely and possibly a thunderstorm between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m., then a chance of showers and thunderstorms after 5 a.m., mostly cloudy, with a low around 54. South wind around 10 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation is 60%. Thursday a chance of showers before 8 a.m., then a slight chance of showers after 11 a.m., partly sunny, with a high near 62. West wind 10 to 15 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation is 30%. Thursday night mostly cloudy, with a low around 41. North wind 5 to 10 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Friday mostly cloudy with a high near 54. Calm wind becoming east around 5 miles per hour. News Source 1 Michiana is still your station for happy and whole in him and school and community. News from Sylvia Stark. Michiana Racing Coverage still expounds with Ron Barash and we give a hearty station welcome to Fred Webster who will cover Plymouth and Rochester News. More is coming next. News Nation this hour, I'm Steve Grzanich. The South Korean military says North Korea fired a suspected ballistic missile in the waters off the coast of Japan. News Nation correspondent Adrian Bankert. South Korea's military says the missile likely designed to be launched from a submarine, but leaders didn't say if it was fired from above or below water. That launch comes hours after the U.S. again offered to resume talks on North Korea's nuclear weapons program. North Korea has run a flurry of missile tests in recent weeks, including what it said were hypersonic and long-range weapons. Some of those tests violate strict international sanctions. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol insurrection has released a report on former President Trump's ally Steve Bannon. The document lays out the steps the committee took to get Bannon to comply with its subpoena and Bannon's failure to do so. The report will be taken up at a meeting today and is the first step in a series of moves to hold Bannon in criminal contempt. Meanwhile, former President Donald Trump has filed a lawsuit against the House committee investigating the January 6th attack. News Nation obtained the lawsuit, which aims to block the release of documents the committee has requested and the current president, Joe Biden, has decided to release. Democratic California Representative Zoe Lofgren doesn't believe the lawsuit will slow the investigation. We will pursue this vigorously, but I think the case is a weak one. This lawsuit is towards the edge of frivolous. Executives at Amazon, including founder Jeff Bezos, may have misled or lied to Congress about the firm's business practices. Members of the House Judiciary Committee say they were considering referring the firm for criminal investigation. This follows a Reuters investigation claiming Amazon copied products and rigged its search results in India to boost sales of its own products. Amazon strongly denies the allegations. Find News Nation on your cable or satellite provider and stay up to date around the clock at NewsNationNow.com and on the News Nation Now app. I'm Steve Grzanich. From the Black Information Network, this is the BIN Daily Update. 
I'm Vanessa Tyler. And I'm Mike Stevens on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network. Mr. Chairman, on this vote, there are nine ayes, zero noes. The motion is agreed to. And with that, the House Committee, chaired by Democratic Congressman African-American Benny Thompson, proves he's going to get to the bottom of the September 6th riot on the Capitol. This unanimous vote means former President Trump loyalist, White House strategist Steve Bannon is in contempt. Bannon refused to show up and testify. Now the vote goes to the full House, then to the hands of Biden's Justice Department, where Bannon faces a fine, an arrest, or both. Speaking of Donald Trump, some say they were not really surprised about his way of so-called paying tribute to former Secretary of State Colin Powell. In a statement, Trump first criticized Powell for being a, quote, rhino, that's a Republican in name only. Then he said Powell always attacked other Republicans. Trump ended his critical statement with, but anyway, may he rest in peace. On the other hand, many say the praise from both sides of the aisle for the black four-star general's contributions to his country far outweigh Donald Trump's harsh words. Many called what Donald Trump said classless. Still, the rest of America and the world continues to praise the life of a leader and true patriot. But to his family, he was so much more. Powell and Alma, his wife of 60 years, have three children. His children says his bigger role was as father and grandfather. Powell died of COVID-19 complications due to underlying medical conditions. One of those conditions is multiple myeloma. It's a cancer and General Powell's passing is a warning to African Americans. Multiple myeloma is a blood disorder that disproportionately affects black people, especially black men. It's called a silent killer in the black community. It can't be cured, but medication can slow it down. It's called silent because for some people there are no signs. For others, symptoms include mental fogginess, excessive thirst, leg numbness, and weight loss. The risk of contracting it increases with age. Colin Powell was 84 years old. Because General Powell was fully vaccinated, it illustrates even more the need for the unvaccinated to get the shot to stop the spread to the vulnerable. On the business side, the coronavirus has been very good for Johnson & Johnson. The New Jersey-based company sold $502 million worth of vaccines in the third quarter. It expects to sell $2.5 billion of vaccines this year. Despite the vaccine sales, revenue in the company's latest earnings report fell just short of expectations. And finally, they did nothing. People on a train near Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, as a woman is sexually assaulted. In fact, reports are some recorded it. The suspect literally ripped down the woman's pants. But those who did not intervene or call authorities while the woman was raped on the train could face charges. Reports are it's up to the Delaware County District Attorney to decide if it can be done. The Upper Darby Township Police Superintendent says the train wasn't packed, but there were enough people there to get together and do something. Police were able to nab and arrest the attacker. I'm Vanessa Tyler with Mike Stevens on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network. This episode is brought to you by the all-new Grand Wagoneer, featuring premium American design, up to eight-passenger seating, and impressive capability. The Grand Wagoneer's innovative in-car technology offers incredible ways to connect you with your journey, like 75 inches of pixel-perfect screens and a 23-speaker Macintosh MX1375 reference entertainment system so you can fully personalize your drive and create unforgettable memories. The Grand Wagoneer. Grand adventures return. Learn more at Wagoneer.com. I'm Mike Stevens. And I'm Vanessa Tyler on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network.
It's one of the biggest fears of African Americans being pulled over by police, even though they've done nothing wrong, and that leads to a violent encounter or being wrongly arrested. In Waterloo, Iowa, investigators now admit a black postal worker was held at gunpoint in a case of what cops say was mistaken identity. The wife of Shadrach Wilson was recording while watching and trying to keep her husband calm. We can talk about it when you get home, please. Police say Wilson was stopped lawfully, even though he was mistaken for someone else. In this case, nobody was hurt. The black man was released after his identity was confirmed. But this kind of thing has happened so much, it makes some wonder if, to some officers, black men really do all look alike. And others say maybe it doesn't matter if someone they stop is innocent or guilty of a crime, as long as they're black. It's a reminder, all elections matter. There are several communities around the country that are finding state legislatures, most Republican and white, are redrawing political maps in their own favor. In Detroit, Michigan, a large city with the highest percentage of black residents in the nation, a new political map is upsetting African-American residents. Black Michigan State Senator Adam Hollier. We are here because the Citizens Redistricting Commission has gone from 17 majority black districts, primarily based in the city of Detroit, to zero. And this coalition of elected officials, former elected officials, community activists, faith leaders think that's a problem. Black residents, lawmakers, community activists, pastors, and union leaders are among those protesting the new political maps. Despite the flames and nothing left of the plane, all survived. And there were no major injuries when a Boston, Massachusetts-bound plane carrying more than 20 people hit a fence while taking off from the Houston Executive Airport. An investigation is going on to determine what caused the plane to veer off the runway. So much for privacy. The state of Oregon says it accidentally made public... The vaccination status of more than 40,000 state workers. A spreadsheet sent to news organizations was just supposed to show vaccination rates. Instead, the files went out with the detailed vaccination status of state employees, and many of them are very upset. As we continue to look at the legacy of Colin Powell, who died at the age of 84, an opinion piece in the conversation says General Powell, the first black secretary of state, learned early on how to survive and thrive in his black skin in a white country. He did well in two worlds, whether as a soldier, politician, and a diplomat. He was conservative in his views, but also willing to call out fellow Republicans for racism. Colin Powell learned how to transcend race, garnering the respect of both parties and people of all backgrounds. For these stories and more, listen to the Black Information Network on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Mike Stevens with Vanessa Tyler on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network. This episode is brought to you by WinBet Sportsbook and Casino. WinBet is live in Michigan, and they have what you need to win. Just download the WinBet app or visit wynnbet.com and enter the promo code SPOTIFY to get up to $1,000 toward a risk-free sports bet. Download, bet, win. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in Michigan. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-270-7117. 
your money on the Black Information Network. Procter & Gamble is issuing a warning on inflation despite beating expectations. In its latest earnings report, the Ohio-based company CFO said there will be more price hikes to fight inflation. Despite that, the company is surpassing analyst expectations as it posted more than $20 billion in revenue. The NBA is partnering with Coinbase to land its first cryptocurrency sponsorship deal. Coinbase will leverage most of the NBA's platforms, including the WNBA, NBA G League, NBA 2K League, and USA Basketball. Coinbase is a software platform that hosts cryptocurrency transactions, which the company gets a percentage of from fees. NBA executive Kerry Tatlock called Coinbase a natural fit for the league's cryptocurrency assets. And housing starts slowed more than expected last month. Figures out show housing starts fell 1.6% in September due to an annual rate of 1.55 million. Housing industry analysts had forecast a 9 tenths percent decline to an annual rate of 1.6 million. Money news at 24 and 54 minutes past each hour. I'm Morgan Wood on the Black Information Network. The My Cultura Podcast Network is dedicated to celebrating and elevating Latinx stories and content creators in English, Spanish, and Spanglish. We're all about representation and feature the hottest celebrities, influencers, and voices. With a variety of podcasts focused on pop culture, music, comedy, and so much more, it's a listening experience for everyone. It's where cultura meets comunidad. Listen to the My Cultura Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Download the BIN Daily Update every morning on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to 2021 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. Mr. Bannon stands alone in his complete defiance of our subpoena. That's not acceptable. No one in this country, no matter how wealthy or how powerful, is above the law. The House January 6th Select Committee unanimously approved a criminal contempt report against former Trump strategist Steve Bannon for defying a subpoena. Panel Chair Congressman Benny Thompson urged other witnesses to comply. Bannon is claiming executive privilege, which both the White House and the panel reject. Republican Liz Cheney called on other members of her party to support the committee's work and said Bannon had advanced knowledge of the Capitol attack. On January 5th, Mr. Bannon publicly professed knowledge that, quote, all hell is going to break loose tomorrow, end quote. The report goes to the full U.S. House for a vote, and if passed, a criminal referral would be sent to the U.S. Attorney in Washington, D.C., who could take the matter before a grand jury. After a day of meetings with Democrats, the White House says President Joe Biden is more confident about the future of his Build Back Better plan. The final bill will likely drop tuition-free community college, and while the child tax credit will be extended for another year, it will reportedly be means-tested as requested by West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. I don't believe that we should turn our society into an entitlement society. I think that we should still be a compassionate, rewarding society. Negotiations on alternative emission reduction strategies continue with Manchin firmly opposed to government penalties on electric utilities that fail to meet clean energy goals. The carbon tax is not on the board at all right now. The spending plan is currently $3.5 trillion, but Biden's bottom line numbers are reportedly between $1.9 and $2.2 trillion. And after blowback from banks and Republicans, Democrats are now proposing to allow the IRS to access information about bank accounts with more than $10,000 in deposits or withdrawals in a year, instead of the $600 first proposed. 
President Biden's nominee to lead U.S. Customs and Border Protection was grilled by a Senate committee Tuesday. Tucson, Arizona Police Chief Chris Magnus said he would balance border security with humane policies. On construction of a border wall, Magnus says he's met with agents who say there are gaps where a wall would make sense. I'm not taking issue with that, but they also talk about the need for better technology, better basic resources related to their ability to communicate by radio and by phone. Magnus, an outspoken critic of Trump's immigration policies, told senators he cares about innovation, not ideology. Nebraska Republican Congressman Jeff Fortenberry is facing a federal indictment for allegedly lying to federal officials during an investigation into contributions made by a foreign national to his re-election campaign in 2016, which are illegal. Cole Hemstreet contributed reporting. I'm Mary Sherman for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Find our A-Trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy online at publicnewsservice.org. This is News Source 1 Michiana, Elkhart South Bend. This episode is sponsored by Morgan Stanley. Hi, I'm Nyla Boodoo, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. It's Tuesday, October 19th, and we're focused on China's missile test. The recent Financial Times reporting that China launched a possible nuclear-capable hypersonic missile this past summer is complicated. That's partially because China says it was a routine spacecraft test, but the launch caught U.S. intelligence by surprise. It's also because tensions between China and the U.S. have continued to intensify under the Biden administration. The world has seen power struggles between nuclear powers before, but not between two countries as interconnected as the U.S. and China. Should we be thinking about this in terms of a new Cold War? In a moment, Axios reporter Bethany Allen Ibrahimian on what this all means for U.S.-China relations. Plastic waste is one of the biggest problems of our time, and it's getting worse. In season one of At Scale, a sustainability podcast, Morgan Stanley looks at the most critical challenges and solutions. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we're joined now by Axios' China reporter, Bethany Allen Ibrahimian. Hi, Bethany. Hi, Nyla. Can you explain the context for what we know about what's happening around this missile test? So this is the latest in a series of pretty significant headlines about the relationship between China and the rest of the world or the U.S. and China. So a few months ago, satellite images revealed that there are hundreds of new missile silos in western China that have been constructed. We've also seen a dramatic rise in the number of Chinese bombers and jet fighters that have flown close to Taiwanese airspace. And we've also seen on the U.S. side, more alliances and pacts that are being formed with the aim of countering China. So, for example, just recently, uh, a new pact, a new security pact was announced between the U.S., the U.K., and Australia, and the U.S. actually handed over nuclear submarine technology to Australia as part of that pact. So this is the environment that we're talking about, some pretty serious tensions here. Bethany, I think a lot of times when we hear about missile tests, that's in regards to North Korea. Is it fair to compare these two countries, North Korea and China? How should we be thinking about 
that in the context of this most recent missile test by China? Well, these are quite different things because if you compare China and North Korea, North Korea is very much a rogue regime. It does not participate in the international system. It has not signed on to the expected behavioral norms of the international system. You know, it's considered a rogue actor. So as North Korea continues to improve its missile program, it's really difficult to say how they would choose to use those missiles. And if they did choose to use them on a first strike basis, let's say, they would have a lot less to lose, at least in terms of their international standing, their economic ties with other countries, whereas China is well situated within the international system and thus has a lot of reasons and a lot of incentive to abide by treaties that it has signed to not jeopardize its standing. And something else is that China has had nuclear weapons for half a century and and hasn't used them. So the fact that it's a a nuclear-capable hypersonic missile, I think, is, is not as alarming as it could potentially sound. To the point of these international relationships and what is keeping China in check, can we talk about Taiwan for a moment? Can you just catch us up on the increasing tensions that we've seen that China has ratcheted up with Taiwan and where this might factor into that? Sure. So the relationship between China and Taiwan has deteriorated pretty steadily since 2016 when Taiwan elected a president that was pretty hostile to Beijing. And since then, you know, we've seen a break in formal communications between China and Taiwan. China has continued to poach more of Taiwan's few remaining diplomatic allies. And as the the Trump administration and then the Biden administration have made growing efforts to reach out to Taiwan, to support Taiwan more strongly, on the international stage. We've seen China engage in what you could even call saber-rattling where, you know, in recent months, for example, they've been sending these numerous flights of bombers and fighters close to Taiwan's airspace. In addition, it seems to be a more near-term goal of Chinese President Xi Jinping to unify Taiwan with China. In the past, Chinese leaders would talk about unification with Taiwan as an ideal to be realized at some point in time in the future. But Xi Jinping seems to have identified this as a real and tangible goal that he may even try to accomplish during his tenure as president. So as we continue to unravel these relationships, that is the context of Taiwan. You mentioned earlier the context of the U.S. and U.S. foreign relations and building pacts with allies to line up people against China. Can you explain a little bit more about what we've seen happen there? Sure. So there's been quite a lot of activity. One thing that the Biden administration has done that has, again, been a continuation and a strengthening of what the Trump administration began was the Quad. So that is an informal grouping of four Indo-Pacific democracies, Japan, India, Australia, and the U.S. And under the Trump administration, this grouping was kind of revived, and they had some higher-level meetings of officials from these four countries. But under the Biden administration, actually just a few weeks ago, there was the very first in-person summit between the four top leaders, that's presidents and prime ministers, of these four countries. Now, this grouping doesn't purely have China in mind. It's also about building infrastructure in the Indo-Pacific, helping with vaccines. But pushing back against China's authoritarianism is a clear goal. And also, 
NATO, in fact, just recently has said that they are now going to include China as a focus. This is very interesting because NATO is like the quintessential Cold War era treaty alliance. That's why it was founded. That's why it was created. And the EU has been pretty hesitant to get on the boat, if you will, of viewing China as you know, in a more confrontational light. But even NATO now is beginning to see that because of hacking, because of espionage, because of technological challenges, that China really is in some ways a threat to democratic norms and values. Some people are calling the tensions between China and the U.S. a cold war. Do you think that's an accurate way to describe what's happening now? That's a tough question, and I think it really depends on on what we mean by a Cold War. There's really only been one Cold War, so when we use that term, we're thinking of the the U.S.-Soviet Union-era Cold War, and that was characterized by... First and foremost, uh, an arms race and fears over mutual nuclear annihilation. It also involved dividing the world into two separate blocks with some non-aligned zones. And that's where the phrases first world, third world, where that comes from. And also, in that Cold War, the Soviet Union implemented an economic blockade. It did not have any kind of significant economic ties with the West. And the world today is completely different than than that world. I mean, first of all, so much of the world is economically linked, and China is, in fact, the world's top trade partner. It's, you know, the opposite of a self-imposed economic embargo. Also, the world has made such strides forward in nuclear non-proliferation, in rejecting the idea of a nuclear arms race. And third, kind of along the same lines, is that technology, cyber hacking and cyber warfare, really may be the virtual battlefield of the future. And in that kind of a world, it's not really helpful to view U.S.-China conflict through the lens of the 20th century Cold War. However, I think if we go back to the original meaning of the term Cold War itself without thinking of, you know, the specific one that we're all familiar with, it's still a useful concept because the opposite of a Cold War is a hot war, meaning weapons, bombs, blood, death, this kind of thing, two armies fighting each other. And that is not happening right now between the U.S. and China. And if it continues to not happen, if we continue to not have a hot war, but we continue to have very intense struggle between the U.S. and China, that is kind of a Cold War. So to reject that framing entirely, I think is not helpful. What is more helpful is to envision the different kinds of non-hot war that the 21st century world might allow. If that terminology is or that paradigm is dated, how should we be thinking about this conflict, especially in light of this most recent missile test that we've just learned about? Well, I think first and foremost is that it's totally key to think about the costs of any kind of ongoing conflict or struggle between the U.S. and China. It doesn't matter what we want to call it, a a hot war, a cold war, a gray war, whatever. What are those costs? Well, to the extent that the U.S. and China put resources into struggling against one another and divert those resources from more important fights, such as the fight against climate change, that hurts all of humanity. Certainly, climate change is, I think, I'm not wrong in saying, the most important issue of our time. And if the U.S. and China are trying to maneuver around each other and get diplomatic alliances and 
try to stymie each other's moves on the international stage, this again is going to divert energy away from achieving global consensus and global cooperation on issues like climate change. So there's real human costs here. How do you see the U.S. and the rest of the world moving forward from this point then? I think so much of the answer to that question lies in Beijing. What we've seen under Xi Jinping is a deepening ideological hardline stance that the party will not accept so much of the Western values that it seems to believe are imbued in a lot of our multilateral institutions, in the openness that we support, in the internet, in trade, in people-to-people exchanges. The reason that the U.S., for, for the most part, the reason that the U.S. has taken this harder turn towards China is because of China's own hard turn ideologically. And so I wish I could say that here are the three things the U.S. can do to prevent a Cold War or some other kind of conflict with China. But at the end of the day, China's leaders have their own agency. They make their own choices, and they're just going to have to make some better choices for the rest of the world under consideration. Bethany Allen Ibrahimian is the author of the weekly Axios China newsletter. Thanks, Bethany. Thanks, Nyla. It's one of the biggest environmental problems of our time, and it's getting worse every day. Plastic. A lot of it. In Season 1 of At Scale, a sustainability podcast, Morgan Stanley looks at the most critical plastic waste challenges and solutions that can mean a more sustainable future. Meet innovators and designers, learn what's wrong with recycling, and discover new thinking and technologies that might make the difference. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. One other thing we're watching today. Participation in youth-organized sports across the country is down because of COVID. One survey says almost one in three kids who took part in organized sports before the pandemic have since stopped. So what's going on and what will it take to rebound? We'll have that story tomorrow on Axios Today. And we're done. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we're back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.